let's jump into our actual passage, which is Revelation 17, 1 through 6. We're going to look at uh, one phrase at a time, not every phrase, but just those phrases that tend to trip people up. Um, I checked a bunch of different commentaries and saw where people disagree, and we're going to handle those disagreements. We're going to start with a pretty easy one. Revelation 17, 1 through 2. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. All right. Thank you. So obviously when we get to this passage, it has a bit of a different feel to it than uh, any of the passages from chapters 14 to 16. It feels a bit more to us like chapter 12 and chapter 13 did, primarily because we don't immediately understand this imagery that's happening. We do recognize this angel. It says one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and spoke with me. We saw this angel back in chapter 15, and he was one of our main characters then from 15 to 16. These seven angels released their bowls of wrath on the earth. Now, when those wrath or the plagues came down, those were very literal plagues. We have no reason to interpret these as anything but literal angels, literal bowls, and literal plagues. Just because we have up here in uh, verse 15, another sign doesn't mean we symbolize these things. A sign, which we saw back in chapter 12, it says there was a sign, a woman in the sky, another sign, a serpent. Those things were symbolic, not because it says here a sign, but because they were given uh, or that they were assigned meaning. A sign here in the Greek simeon is simply a miracle or something that points to another thing. And here this sign in heaven that John saw these seven angels lining up, this is pointing towards the judgment to come, the judgment by these angels. We don't have to find something in here to symbolize. The angels are literal angels. They are created beings by God, and they serve at his behest. And at this point, he assigns them the task of pouring out his judgment on the earth. And those plagues are literal judgments. So those seven angels, those are literal angels. As well, we've got these seven bowls. And for the same reason, we're going to say those literal, those seven bowls were literal because we are not told anywhere in the text that they are anything but literal. And we don't have any reason to make them literal or uh, figurative. So the seven bowls as well, those are literal bowls. Now we come to the great harlot. This one is probably where most people uh, disagree in this passage. And this is where most of the fighting happens. So uh, we're going to take a bit more time on this great harlot who sits on many waters. We're going to apply the same principle as we see John use throughout Revelation, where he states a symbol, and then he gives us the, the, uh, the intended meaning behind it. He starts right off the bat at the beginning of Revelation um, in what we might call his preface. And I think here he's intending to set the tone. He says, as for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, those were symbols uh, from uh, 
earlier in this chapter. He says the seven stars are the seven, uh, the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now, we don't have any reason to symbolize churches or symbolize angels here. They are literal uh, reference, and their objects are these stars and lampstands. Those are the symbols. So again, we have a predicate form here, identifying the object and the referent, and their connection comes in the context prior there, but we're not worried about Revelation 1 right now. We're worried about Revelation 17. And if we skip to the very end of this chapter, Revelation 17, verse 18, we see that the woman who you saw is the great city, which reigns over the kings of the earth. So here, what we can say about that great harlot, at least is that she is a city and that she, again, rules over the kings of the earth. She has global influence. So she is a city. That woman um, is a symbol once again. It says also that she sits on many waters. We don't have to search far to find out what this means. The angel is going to interpret it for John. He said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Now I underlined tongues here because I, I want you to have languages in the back of your mind here as well. I'm trying to influence your, uh, your interpretive process. Uh, so the waters which you saw where the harlot sits, these are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. This is not a symbol. This is the meaning of the symbol. If we want to understand more about these nations, tongues, multitudes, peoples, we have plenty of evidence from Revelation alone about what these mean. Whether it is a global or a localized a localized people group. Here in Revelation 5.9, we see uh, the worship in heaven says, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nations. Now this is a partitive, which means that it's not talking about the whole thing, but it's saying a collection out of um, these tribes and tongues and people and nations. So this and then Revelation 7, after these things, I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and people and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. These, both of these passages talk about the salvation from Jesus Christ, the lamb, and it extends the broadness to every region, people group, language group um, around the entire earth. And this shouldn't surprise us because the broadness of Christ's offer of salvation is to every single human being which has ever been born. 1 John 2, 1 through 2 shows us just how far his blood can stretch. It says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, those who have already been saved, but for those of the whole world. 
this is the doctrine of unlimited atonement. We see that he does collect a people from every single group around the earth. It is not limited to just Israel. It is not limited to just Western people. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation will be saved. And so we see that these people groups are a global uh, influence that Christ has, a global self or a, uh, a salvation from the whole globe. That doesn't mean every person will be saved. Again, it is a partitive people from all the people. Now in Revelation 10, it no longer is spoken of as a partitive. It's not a part of this whole. It is the whole in its entirety. And in Revelation 10, John is recommissioned, just like Jeremiah was recommissioned, just like Isaiah was recommissioned uh, for, uh, for a continued prophetic ministry here. And it says, they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. John goes on to prophesy about the fate of the whole world in the midpoint and on from the tribulation, including Israel here. In fact, the very next prophecies that he gives are specific to Israel. That's going to be important in a second. Revelation 11, 9 through 10 those from the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations will look at their dead bodies, those two witnesses in the midpoint of the tribulation. They'll look at those dead bodies for three and a half days and will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate. They will send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now, this is another figure of speech, but it's not a figure of speech that is symbolic. It's a way of speaking. It's called a hendiadis, which means in the Greek from one or one thing from two. And it's where you take two coordinate terms, um, which define a single referent. These are both literal terms, those from the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations, and those who dwell on the earth. Uh, these refer to the same group of people. So it is a global influence here. The, uh, the whole globe is going to watch these dead bodies and refuse to bury them. It happens again here in Revelation 13, 7. It says, it was also given to him, the false Christ, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundations of the world in the book of life of the lamb who has not or has been slain. So here he's given authority from Satan over all whom Satan has authority over, those who have chosen to cast their lot in with him rather than with God. There's no neutral ground at this point. In fact, there is no neutral ground ever. You belong to Satan until you belong to God. And so um, this authority, which is given to the false Christ, is authority over all those who have not placed their faith in Christ for their salvation. And so they will worship him, everyone whose name has not been in the book of life. Revelation 14, 6, then, I saw another angel flying in midheaven 
having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. Now it's speaking of those who live on the earth and every nation and tongue or tribe and tongue and people. And the earth here is used in the same uh, way as it is used for what God created. God created the whole earth, not just part of it. And it's those who live here on the whole earth, not just on part of it. And why that all is important is because some will say this is just the Gentile nations, or this is just Israel scattered throughout the world, uh, who have learned to speak different tongues and different languages. Uh, that or essentially saying that if a Jewish person is outside of the land of Israel and not living as a Jew, then they're under this influence. Um, or it's just the Gentile nations and not Israel. Uh, this is an untenable position. It's all the people on earth who are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. John is called to prophesy over all these tongues and tribes and nations and people, and the very first nation he prophesies over is Israel. They are part of this rulership of this uh, great harlot. She sits over the whole world, including Israel, in this tribulation period. So this many waters is, is interpreted for us, and it's the people of the earth, all those who are unbelievers. She rules over them. All right, in verse 2, it says, With whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. But here, when we get the interpretation of the woman, and it says that it's a great city, we are not given any indication that these kings of the earth are anything but literal. In fact, they are put on the side of the interpretation, not the symbol. Uh, this gives us, uh, this tips the scales then towards literal, uh, despite the fact that there is nothing to tip the scales towards symbolic. Um, it generally is just because it's hard to believe or it doesn't fit someone's theology that they try to make this symbolic. Either it doesn't fit their symbol, uh, theology or it is uh, beneficial to their theology to make this mean something they want it to mean when uh, John's words aren't convenient for them. And these kings of the earth commit acts of immorality and those who dwell on the earth again were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. Now this wine of immorality, um, I do not take this as literal. I do think this is symbolic because we're given the symbolic imagery of wine through chapters 14 through 17. We want to um, follow that symbolism here. It's not impossible that they are just getting drunk and that might be a part of what they are doing. But this immorality uh, is defined for us elsewhere in Revelation. And for that, we go all the way back to Revelation 2.14. And we see that even in the church age, which is not the same as the tribulation period, there is immorality going on. And it's defined for us. It says, but I have a few things against you because you have there some who hold the teachings of Balaam 
who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. So now we've got all this context behind it of what Balaam did with Balak. He introduced uh, Moabitess women into the tribe of Israel to get them um, corrupting their, their nation so that they would move towards idolatry, that they would follow Moabite um, religion rather than the purity of, uh, of the Mosaic law. And so here... John is, or Jesus is saying to John to say to the churches that this church, which is introducing this sort of idolatry um, by eating things sacrificed to idols and committing then acts of immorality, they're putting a stumbling block before Israel. Paul tells us that there's nothing actually behind this, these meats offered to um, idols but we don't want to cause others to stumble. If they are, um, if this would be a reason why they would stumble, then it's wrong for us to participate in them. Uh, and that's what's going on in this church. They might be doing something that they are not hindered by spiritually, but they're hindering others spiritually, and it's causing idolatry. As well in Revelation 2.20, in the church of Thyatira, says, I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who was probably a literal woman, um, not likely named Jezebel. It could have been her actual name, um, but it's more likely that John or Jesus is applying the characteristics of Jezebel to this literal woman in Thyatira. This woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads many bond servants away. That's the connection of this symbol. She's leading bond servants away. She is causing apostasy in the church. They commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. And interestingly, when we move to verse 23, uh, we'll see that she actually looks a lot like this harlot. She's characterized by doing the same activity. Um, and she has children, it says. It says, I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. These activities are taking place in that sphere, the minds and the hearts. I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching. Again, we go back to Balaam. It was the teaching of Balaam that was the issue who do not hold to this teaching, who do not know the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. So we have kind of a rounded concept of what this is. This idolatry is teaching, which goes against God's pure word, against God's teaching. And in these cases, dealing with these two churches, it is drawing believers away from God and into immoral acts of apostasy and idolatry. Revelation 9, 20 through 21 is no longer in the context of churches, though. There are some interpretations of this harlot that she is either the apostate church, or she is apostate Israel or Jerusalem, that she is a city represents Israel. Now, I 
I think it's very easy to dismiss the idea that she is the church because she's a city and the church is not a city. Israel being centered around Jerusalem isn't able to be dismissed on that basis, but um, it is able to be at least uh, not the only option when we see that this is not restricted, these immoralities are not restricted to only spiritual apostasy from God, but spiritual apostasy among those who have never um, belonged to God are as well considered immoral in their actions. So to summarize all that, it doesn't mean you've walked away from God. These immoralities could mean that you were never practicing the religion of God. So in Revelation 9, 20 through 21, we have the unbelievers who are obviously never believers because um, they, are they are in this tribulation period. Um, so the church is no longer present. Those who believed in God were taken away. And here those are left, um, are seen in Revelation 9, 20 through 21. It says the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, those were the, um, the seal judgments. No, these were the trumpet judgments. They did not repent of the works of their hands so as to not worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. Now, again, no reason to take these as anything but literal. The book of Revelation is not a book of symbols, but is, it is a book with symbols. So here they're actually worshiping demons. They're worshiping idols. Um, even today, this occurs even among secularists who think they are not religious. They worship various demons. It says they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. So here, immoralities is part of their uh, worship of demons, their idol worship, which is worship contrary to worshiping God. Revelation 14, 8, another angel, a second one followed saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who has made the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her, her immorality. Now, this is why uh, in Revelation 14, 8, we started to see this wine used symbolically. It's used symbolically because God's going to do something similar in this wine press. So he's using a symbol that he can carry along like a thread. Uh, that lex talionis, the law of retribution that we saw earlier. But these immoralities include those things such as murders and thefts and sorceries. For example, in Revelation 17, 6, it says, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints. She is a murderer of the followers of Christ and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered greatly. 